Sauron was become now a sorcerer of dreadful power, master of shadow and phantoms. Foul in wisdom, cruel in strength, misshaping what he touched, twisting what he ruled. The lord of werewolves. His dominion was torment. He took Minas Tirith by assault, for a dark cloud of fear fell upon those that defended it, and Orodreth was driven out and fled to Nargothrond. Alright guys, welcome back to Keep On Tolkien. This is Joel N. And this is Danny J. We are glad you decided to tune in for episode four today, our first subject that is not The Hobbit. Yay! And it is going to be on something else I think everyone else knows and loves, or mm-hmm. someone else, Sauron. Sauron. Yeah, Sauron, so he's a guy uh, of, he goes by many names, uh, some of which uh, you're about to hear right now. Thu, the necromancer, servant of Morgoth, Myron, Anatar, Artano, Gorthaur the Cruel, the Enemy, the Dark Power, the Great Eye, the Necromancer, the Lord of the Rings, the Sorcerer, the Black Hand, the Nameless Enemy, Thauron, Thu, Sauron the Great, and Sauron the Deceiver. Just to name a few. To name a few. Actually, that's all the ones we could find. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, just a, a brief summary of what you may already know about Sauron, or you may not, but we'll just, this is a starting point. So he is, uh, first and foremost, the the bad guy. Yeah. Well, yeah. The bad guy through uh, most of the most of the stories I think most people are yeah. familiar with. Just mm. almost always the bad guy. Yeah, he's, he's around from the beginning, but he's uh, obviously more prevalent in Third Age stuff, but he is the main source of evil through a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people know already that he is the mastermind of the Rings of Power scheme, which we'll obviously get into. Um, yeah, he is actually the namesake of the trilogy, as as Joel read earlier. He is the Lord of the Rings, indeed. And yeah, and for the Third Age, he's mostly he's mostly disembodied. He doesn't really have a physical form all that often. Um, he's just more of a force of nature, really, than a person. Not necessarily a character that you're going to see... Walking up and having dialogue with somebody. He's just kind of the a background force of evil. So we're gonna take you we're gonna take you all the way back. All the way back to the beginning and see where the hell this guy even came from and some of the shit he did along the way. Because he has been around for a long time. He's been around since literally the very beginning of existence itself. Of time, indeed. Yeah. Um so that's where we're gonna start off. <laughs> is with the story of creation. Um, obviously, we're not going to get super detailed, but uh, how it starts out is there is one god, and his name is Eru, whom the elves call Iluvatar. And uh, he um, he's just by himself originally, and you know he's getting pretty lonely out there in the void, so what does he do, Joel? What does he do? So Iluvatar, lonely in the void, creates the Ainur. Who are basically like angelic beings. There's a a couple different classes amongst them, but uh, overall they're known as the Ainur. And he creates them in the timeless halls. And all they do all day is they practice and sing the music of Iluvatar. Iluvatar would start a musical theme and the rest of the Ainur would join in in song. Yeah, a lot of singing. They love their singing. Um, yeah, so Ilavatar, um, he taught them how to sing, and that was like, you know, their shit, that was like all they did. It's and like s- teaching them to speak. Right, yeah, it's, it's their form of speak, and uh, so basically what, uh, the song that they ended up singing, it had, uh, it had three main themes to it, and um, each of them expressed a different, uh, Mode of creation, basically. So the song itself was the song of creation. It wasn't just some music. It was actually creation happening through music. The song itself had to do with what happens throughout the world. um, And that becomes physically manifested into the world that is known as Arda. Uh, Granted, this hasn't happened quite yet, but that's what the song is building up to. 
Not that any of the Ainur knew that quite yet. So yeah, as they're singing, they're singing along. Um, there's uh, one particular Ainur, whom uh, we know as Melkor, who's a force that we'll, we will tackle in our next, our very next episode. So stay tuned for that. But uh, Melkor introduces Discord into the song. Um, and through that, introduces the concept of evil to everything that is. Essentially, yeah. So he's your stereotypical Lucifer uh, type character in, in terms of your mythologies and whatnot. So he he's the one of the uh, Ainur who decided he wanted to throw his own bit into Iluvatar's song and throw it off. Because he's the smartest too. That was that was yeah. We he uh, was he was the uh, smartest and most powerful among them. I the think. most powerful. Yeah, and he also so like Iluvatar when he created the Ainur, he basically split up parts of his mind into um in, you know into different Ainur. And Melkor got a little bit of everything, so he had knowledge of a vast um, many things, and uh, he definitely uses that. Definitely uses that to his advantage. Um, so when the world becomes physically manifested into Arda, um, the important information here is that when the world comes to be, uh, Ilvatar sends down a total of uh, 15 in all, Valar. Now, the Valar, all they are is the Ainur, just physically manifested and put down on Earth. Uh, but they're kind of a hierarchy among the Ainur. Right, um, they're, they're on, the more on powerful. The, on the planet, um, you get a bunch of Ainur that come down, and there's some that are Valar, and there's some that are Maiar, lower than them. Nonetheless, Melkor is one of these. He, meaning, yeah, he's Valar. So yeah, as they come down, they're they're basically categorized into hierarchies, um, and the more powerful of which are the Valar, and there's a, a, you know a small handful of them, but there are countless Maiar who are kind of their their helper spirits, I guess you could say, and um, yeah, and so you'll run into a lot of Maiar and um, throughout Tolkien, just to name a few that we we run into eventually, um, Balrogs. Are are Maiar? Um, Saruman is Maiar. Gandalf is Maiar, and of course, the guy who we're all talking about today, Sauron is Maiar. He is one of the Maiar, one of the the lesser Ainur that come down to the planet, and his name was Myron. And um, Myron, uh, it translates to the admirable. Um, he was a Maya of Aule, who is a. They're kind of all the all the Maiar are kind of assigned to uh, to Valar, and they help them in their in their labors. And he was uh, one of um, Aule's, and uh, Aule being the Valar of uh, creation and smithing, and uh, working with the physical world. Yeah, Father so Father Earth. Father, yeah, Father yeah. Earth essentially. And so Sauron being under Aule, or I should say. Myron being under Aule. Right, Myron at this point. Yeah. He, he's still Myron. He's still Myron. He he is given the ability, well, I shouldn't say the, the ability, he's known for being extremely obsessed with order and structure. Order, structure. Um, he's really good with the industry. Efficiency. Efficiency. Is, yeah. Efficiency. He's very, really he's very into efficiency, very against waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he he obviously he obsesses he kind of obsesses about these things, and which was will lead him down the rabbit hole of evil essentially. And, yeah, and as we can, as we, you know, you think back to what you already know about him in the Third Age, you can see where these qualities really come into play in his evil life. But at this point, he is he's still a, a pretty swell guy. It wasn't until he started spending time with Melkor. On the earth, that things started to go awry. So, Sauron was very much seeking power at a certain point mm -hmm. because he had such a desire for order. Right. He thought he would be the one to fix it all. To Essentially, he would be the one to make Arda great again, I think is what he was driving at. Make Arda great again. Make Arda great again. Man, I wonder how that worked out. Yeah. Sauron. Yeah. I wish there was some sort of like present day analogy that we could maybe use for that. I don't know. Anyway, moving on. Um, yeah. 
So uh, Myron is uh, at this point. He is starting to talk to Melkor, and Melkor is essentially openly rebelled against the Valar, and he set up shop in Middle Earth. And at this point, Sauron, he was or uh, Myron, excuse me, Myron was a spy for Melkor for a little bit, feeding information um, from the Valar. But uh, as soon as uh, Melkor set up shop in in Middle Earth, he went with him. He essentially peaced out. And went to join him. Yeah, he saw that his needs, as he saw it, were not being met, at least quickly enough, through the Valar that he was currently teamed up with. And he saw Melkor going out and doing all of his own stuff and doing whatever the hell he wanted to do and realized he could fulfill his desires through Melkor Mm -hmm. more efficiently and quicker than he could with the Valar. So he just decided for efficiency's sake to just go team up with that guy and... Yeah, and that's kind of always how it's it's been. It's not like it's always been a a relationship of uh of you know, of advantage. Like it's it's not it's it's, it's not a an honorary friendship of no, any yeah. kind. It's, I wouldn't say it's a friendship. It's a, exactly. it's a business relationship. Yeah, it's a business relationship cuz Sauron has his own uh, his own desires and he's going to use Melkor the the force of nature that is Melkor to achieve his goals. Um, no matter what, essentially. So eventually, um, when Melkor sets up shop over in Middle Earth, he he makes a couple strongholds. One of which is known as Angban, which he uh, for a while gives to Sauron to be the captain of. Mm-hmm. Until later, turn of events, Melkor has to take up shop there as well. So he he kind of takes over. But yeah, Melkor's off when when Sauron's running the the Angban. Uh, Melkor's off. Corrupting the elves, right? Corrupting men at that Cor- point. Oh, corrupting men. That's when he's corrupting yeah. men. That's when he's off corrupting men. Yeah, they he's, got, he's got some uh, big fish to fry. And mm-hmm. he's just really trying to fuck up the entire world. So he's busy, so he lets Sauron uh, hold up the fort for a while. But Sauron is always, uh, you know, in his top-ranking officers after that. He's the leader of his armies. Um, as you heard from in the excerpt in the beginning, he actually at one point uh, kind of has his own island. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get to that. Yeah. So, um, Sauron, um, what he does is he takes uh, he takes a, a place called Minas Tirith, which is a, a Noldor city. It's uh, overseen by Orodreth, who is the brother of Fel- Finrod Felagund. And um, so Sauron marches in with um, not only uh, a whole horde of hideous Halloween-like creatures, um, uh, werewolves, uh vampires the babadook er- everything and uh he marches in and he also has this like everything that surrounds sauron he kind of he has this uh, aura of fear that and just despair that follows him like um it creates like defeatism in his enemies so like essentially he he took it without a fight because they were so afraid that they just kind of took up and left Aside from seeing werewolves <laughs> right. and vampires yeah. storming their uh, their, their, <laughs> their pretty little castle, yeah, they um, yeah, so they um, they they leave. Um, can't blame them. I probably would have done the same. Yeah, eventually <laughs> it becomes known as the Island of Werewolves. Right. It's a it's a pretty spooky place. There's a lot of those Halloween creatures hanging out there yeah so um just to give you a little bit more context for that excerpt since it was a short one we're gonna go ahead and read it again so you um kind of have some context now this is really where we start seeing sauron do evil things this is the just, first yeah, real evil shit this is yeah. the first truly evil thing that we've really seen sauron do is is taking over this island and this is like the re- really the first time we hear from him since he was myron and like left so like this is how sauron shows up again in the story here we go Sauron was become now a sorcerer of dreadful power, master of shadow and phantoms, foul in wisdom, cruel in strength, misshaping what he touched, twisted what he ruled, lord of werewolves. His dominion was torment. He took Minas Tirith by assault, for a dark cloud of fear fell upon those who defended it, and Orodreth was driven out and fled to Nargothron. Yeah, so that's the story of them taking over the island... Um, and, and now we see Myron as Sauron. As Sauron. Truly. 
which uh which means uh which he was named by uh the Naldor, which means the abhorred. The abhorred. The abhorred, which is basically like kind of a mockery of his the admirable, which is what Myron meant. I really think that Gothauer the Cruel got kinda shafted in his list of names. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty pretty badass one. Right, and that's the one that the Sindar call him. Yeah. Which uh, Sindar which being the uh, the main language spoken in Beleriand, as uh, you may you may know from listening to episode two of our podcast. Right, we we talked about we it. We talked about it. You think that his name would be Gothauer, not Sauron? Right. To most Why would they use the Quenya word? Which is like so basically, essentially, if you said the name Sauron, you'd get killed. It was illegal. Yeah, it was illegal. So that we never really understood that. That's one of those mysteries. Let's just refer to him as Gothauer. From now on, I will never, ever refer to him as Sauron again. One of the main events that happens in the First Age, in which Tolkien considered one of the great, uh, three great tales of the Elder Days, is the story of Baron and Luthien, which um, you might know from there being a new book out this year called Baron and Luthien, um, which is fantastic. You should definitely read it, and we're definitely going to talk about it later on. But... Um, Sauron plays heavily as the as one of the villains in um in the story of Baron and Luthien. Okay, so the tale of Baron and Luthien kind of let's well, let's focus on Baron, the namesake. Um, he's the son of Bear here, who's a captain of men. Um, and Sauron in the beginning of the tale, um, finds out through torture and deceit where Bear here is, and um, he murders him. Um. Kills, kills them all. We may recognize the name Barahir from something that we know in the Third Age. The Ring of Barahir. The Ring of Barahir. That Aragorn wears does go all the way back to this Barahir. That is his ring. That is his ring, yeah. It is one of the oldest artifacts in Middle-earth. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's actually Felagun's ring, Finrod's ring. We'll, we'll definitely get to that story at another point. But no, that uh, bear here is so. By way of the ring of bear here, that also means obviously that he is a Aragorn is a descendant of Baron, distant, 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 very distant. But this is the same lineage that we're dealing with. So yeah, Baron's father is uh, is murdered by Sauron. By Sauron and an entire band of his men. Yeah, all of his bannermen and like uh, probably probably family members too. They're all dead. He kills them all. And then so at this point, Baron goes down to um to a place called Doriath. He finds his way in there. You're not supposed to find your way into Doriath, but Baron does it and he meets up with Luthien. And through a series of events that we're not going to get super into because they don't have to do with Sauron, um Luthien um, our Baron eventually uh, has some adventures that he is captured by Sauron, and he's held in the dungeons along with our our good friend Finrod Felagun, who's one of the great characters in the Silmarillion. Um, one of the great kings of the Noldor. Yeah, super awesome. They say he's like the fairest of all of all uh, the elves. So like, he's a very attractive man. He's Gladriel's brother. So. But at a certain point during Baron and Luthien, they are captured, Barahir and Felagund, in the dungeons of what was Tol Sirion, this, uh, this island that is called now, now the Island of Werewolves that Sauron took over. And he does some terrible shit in there. He has their entire group in the dungeons, in the dark, and they sit in there as werewolves come out of the dark and pick them off one by one. He, at this point, is trying to find out who they are because Sauron doesn't know who they are through the magic of Felagund, yeah, disguising them. Because Felagund, we also mentioned mentioned briefly this in, uh, what was it, episode two? The face-changing magic? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was episode two. Yeah, so um, so this is that face-changing magic that Thranduil and the Hobbit probably didn't have the know-how to do, but Felagund definitely did. And Felagun turned um, them into the likeness of orcs, and they were sneaking in, basically. And Sauron saw right through it and captured them. And uh, they have, like, a huge, like, like a battle of sorcery, which Tolkien describes as, like, songs. Like, they sing at each other for a while. And uh, Sauron eventually wins the sing-song battle, which, uh, but at the same time, Felagun makes it so 
like Joel said, they don't know who they are. So their their intentions are hidden. So he's more or less torturing them as he's killing them, just having these werewolves pick them off one by one out of the dark at random points. It's pretty terrifying. So eventually it gets down to just Baron and Finrod. And when the wolf finally comes for Baron, there's a really dramatic fight between Finrod and the werewolf. And it ends up killing them both. Yeah, well, it wounds. Yeah, it wounds uh, Fenrod, and he dies in in Baron's arms essentially. And this is all in Sauron's captivity. He's yep. he's making all this happen. It's it's some terrible shit. Now at the same time, there's another character in the story, Luthien, that comes to save them, and she brings with her. One of my favorite characters. Oh, the greatest. And yeah. no, it's not Kyrdan. That would have not Kyrdan. That would have been pretty awesome. Yeah, that'd be fucking awesome if Kyrdan showed up in this story. But this is one of the few fucking stories that Kyrdan does not show up in. But instead, she brings Huan, the Hound of Valinor. The Hound of Valinor, who originally uh, belonged to Caligorm, who is one of the sons of Feanor of the Noldor. He's a dick. He's a dick. I hate Calgorm. Um, he's a huge asshole. But Huan is pretty great. But Huan is great. Yeah, he was given to him a- as a pup by Orome, the hunter god, uh, the hunter Valar. And yeah, he came over from Valinor with him. And so Luthien and Huan are here to save the day and save Baron and friends. Little do they know that everyone else is dead but at Baron this point. But Baron is dead, yeah. But nonetheless, they come to save him and... Um, Luthien more or less stands outside and draws out all of Sauron's werewolves and then Huan comes out of the dark and kills those werewolves one by one. Just one by one. Until eventually it comes down to Huan and Sauron. Now Sauron, being a pretty smart guy, uh, thinks of a known prophecy about Huan the Hound at the time. There's a, there's a known prophecy about Huan that he will be killed by only the greatest wolf and so Sauron gets all cocky and says, all right, that'll be me. And he right. changes into... Using the powers of the Maiar. Which using the powers of the Maiar, Sauron changes himself into a werewolf. And so ensues the battle of Huan and Wolf Sauron. <laughs> yeah, like cue fucking heavy metal guitars. Yeah, and it doesn't as you as you as you may or may not imagine, it does not go in the favor of Sauron. And Huan um eventually has him pinned down. Sauron's panicking, he's taken forms of all different creatures and uh they got him pinned down and they're like, Hey, give us the <laughs> give us the counter spell to take down all the enchantments on the on the fortress and we won't steal your skin. <laughs> yeah, the bas- who wants basically like I won't break your neck. Yeah, he's got him down where he wants him, and he's like, "We will. We're gonna take. We're gonna like destroy your physical form here if you don't tell us what's going on. You know what's going on." And Sauron obviously takes that deal because he's not a dummy, and he takes that deal. They let him. Uh, he turns into the a bat creature and yeah, like a bat vampire creature, and he yeah, just flies fuck. off while there's like blood dripping from him, and it drips onto the trees. It's it's pretty gross, but yeah, he yeah he just fucks off like that's <laughs> and that's the last we really hear of him until the end of the first age. At that point, um, people speculate he probably just didn't turn up again because, like, after really failing Melkor that hard. He you wouldn't want to see that no, guy. No, he was going to get reprimanded pretty hard. So yeah. he he kind of pieced out for the rest of the first age, but we do see him again, and that is at the end of the first age. And we're talking about a lot of things have happened, and we're all the way to the War of Wrath, the big one. This is hands down the largest battle to ever happen. Period in the world of Arda. This is the largest battle. It literally changes the geological layout of Middle-earth. So the Valar eventually come and just deal with Melkor through a lot of, a lot of strife on the elves. Um, eventually the Valar decide to intervene and they come the with the hosts of Valinor. That includes Maiar, yeah. that includes the elves that stayed in Valinor. There were a probably, lot of... Probably the fucking Ents 
And probably, probably the, the fucking ends. Eagles. The Eagles, I'm because sure. Because as well, and we're gonna talk about this obviously uh, in a later episode. But Yavanna, the nature goddess, created the ants to be her shepherds of the forest, and Manway, the god of the sky, created the eagles to ev- to watch over everything. So assuming, I'm assuming that they were part of, of the, the hosts. hosts. Yeah, of the like, hosts so of, of the of the Valar. We're I'm talking sure. everybody showed up. And on the bad side, this is when winged dragons were first introduced. So this right. battle was So it's a lot on more even of a battle. Level. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it yeah. would have been insane. But nonetheless, Sauron is just on the sidelines yeah, while this not is going fighting on in this battle. And as the battle basically starts tipping towards the uh, the way of the Valar, he he actually turns up. Yeah, and he turns uh, up, says hello to uh Ianwe, who is the the herald of Manwe, um, he's chief of the Maiar, so they obviously know each other. He's kind of leading, yeah. He's kind of leading the battle at this point. So uh, Sauron seeks him out, and he yeah he begs forgiveness, um, and he says uh, Ianwe tells him that he has to return to Valinor to be judged, and Sauron refuses, and that's pretty much. He's like I I I repent, but not but not that that much. much. Yeah yeah. So yeah, so and then he again he just takes off. We don't see him for a while, but um. So this is gonna segue into a new segment that me and Joel are doing, um, what we call Minnesota Tolkien radio drama, which is um, we're gonna do a scene from Tolkien, as if all the characters were from Minnesota. Please enjoy. So we're gonna set up the scene here, somewhere. In southern Beleriand, the War of Wrath has taken its course. The great evil of Morgoth is overthrown. Ianwe, chief among the Maiar and herald of Manwe, is weary from the long battle. He sits down on a rock, laying down his many weapons. Oof, do my dogs sure are a-barkin'. Just then, a tall figure clad in flowing robes emerges from seemingly nowhere. He approaches Ianwe. Oh, aya there, Ianwe, herald of Manwe. Oh, hey there, fella. Some weather we're having here, huh? Oh, yeah. Real crazy. You know what they say, though. If you don't like the weather in Beleriand, just wait five minutes. Oh, yeah. I don't know if there is much of a Beleriand anymore, you know? The two look to the horizon. There are tornadoes and mountains crumbling, lightning striking repeatedly, and water flowing in from the sea. Oh, yeah. I know what you mean. Say, Anway, do you by chance remember me? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're Myron. You got yourself a new corporeal form there, I see. That's different. You know, I've been thinking, I'm not so sure I want to do this evil thing anymore. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I used to be Myron the Admirable, you know. Now I don't even know what I am, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you've done some stuff that's not so nice, you know. It's just a darn crying shame that you followed Melkor, you know. We all miss you a whole lot. Aule for sure misses you a whole lot. Real bad. Oh, yeah? Yeah, real bad. Sauron looks down at the ground, sadly. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm real sorry for all the not-so-nice things that I did. Oh, jeez, I just, I just wish I could take it all back, you know. I've been real darn bad. You think maybe I could be good again? Yeah, you know... I really think you could if you wanna. Yeah, for sure. Do you think that the Valar could maybe, you know, find their way to forgive me, you think? Oh, you know, that's a tater tot and a whole different hot dish. I think you have to, you know, come back to Valinor and, uh, you know, be judged. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'm just not too keen on going back there after all I done, you know? Kind of leery. Oh, yeah. I see where you're coming from there. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you, you know. Jeez, I, I, I really wish you could come back with us, you know. Just come on back and we'll go right over to the Ring of Doom and uh, sort all this out. What do you say there? Yeah, oh, jeez. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think I can do that. Uh, thanks for talking to me, though, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. I hope you change your mind and maybe, you know... Come on back. Oh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll think about it, maybe. You have yourself a good day there. Oh, yeah, you too, huh? And that was it, guys. 
Minnesota Tolkien radio drama, episode one. Episode one. <laughs> hope you hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed it. That was a fun little segment. We've had a lot of trouble actually. Uh, we've had a lot of trouble trying to get back out of the super obnoxiously heavy. Oh, it's fucked up, man. I've been writing these for like two weeks now, and like I literally my my inner monologue sounds like that now, and like you know we come from. Um. Wow. Sh- shit. We didn't talk about that. We should have um, prefaced the reason that we're um doing this to the Minnesota thing is because this podcast comes from St. Paul, Minnesota, and we're proud of it. Uh, and we realized that when we're recording this, that our accents are kind of fucked up. So we thought we'd have some fun with that. I mean, I don't. I don't think they're fucked up. What you don't think they're fucked up? No, I mean, I think they're... Oh, no. This is what normal people sound like. Oh, yeah, I'm Everybody sure. Everybody else is weird. Yeah, I think everyone else is just real weird, you know? So, at this point in the second age... <laughs> we're not going to talk like that. We're not... <laughs> we're <laughs> I promise. We're not going <laughs> to... We're going to try. We're going to try to not talk that way. I can't promise it's not going to slip now and then. Especially after we've been doing all the, the Minnesota theater. Right. Well, especially, like, people who may or may not have been to Minnesota or known anybody, everybody in Minnesota knows somebody that fucking sounds like that. Just like, like that. People just in your like family that. sound just like yeah, that. Yeah, people in your family sound like that. And, like, you just listen to them talk and you're just like, oh, my God, can they hear themselves? Yeah, and you probably, if you're not from Minnesota, you probably think the same fucking thing about us right now. Yeah, <laughs> as, as we're the ones saying it. All right, so back on the subject of Sauron. Uh, so we've... Wrapped up the first stage, and so he isn't seen much after the events of the first stage and our lovely little our little radio drama. Our little radio drama there. He isn't seen for 500 years, and that is uh, until he establishes himself in Mordor for the first time and uh, announces himself there, and he starts building Baradur in the year 1000. In, that's 1,000 years into the Second Age. Yeah, and uh, so at this point, uh, when Baradur is first built, he uses this opportunity to create a massive army of just real friggin' crazy creatures. A lot of orcs, trolls. Um, he uh, he he corrupts the the hearts of um, um, men from the south and men from the east known as Easterlings and Southrons, respectively. Um, yeah, and he uses their... their um, the thing about Sauron is he usually uses the lust for power to gain power. So, like, he corrupts the hearts of men by saying, oh, yeah, we're going to give you all these great... You're going to be so r- rich. You'll start winning, and you'll win so much that you'll get tired of winning. God damn, that sounds familiar. I can't imagine... Where that's coming from. <sighs> anyway, moving on. So Sauron, the way that he gets his power is through other people seeking their power. And then he just sort of achieves his power through them. We saw this when he initially teamed up with Melkor, who was obviously looking for his own power. So he just kind of hitched a ride on that on that bandwagon for a while. And now, after Melkor's gone, he's just looking for other people that are looking for power. So that's how he manipulates some of the men from the east and the south. Um, Now, now in the Second Age, about 1500, is when he first starts to dabble with his fair form. Right, and this is when he starts his masterminding the whole Rings of Power scheme. This is, it goes all the way back into the, the second age, the Rings of Power. Right. And, uh, yeah, so he takes the, the fair form and calls himself Anatar and hangs out with the elves in uh, Eregion and uh, teaches them all kinds of cool smithing tricks, teaches them a little bit of sorcery, because, again, a lot of these are Noldor, and they're super, super into learning how to do cool stuff. So pretty much anybody who's teaching them how to do cool stuff the Noldor are going to be friends with, and that leads to their downfall a couple times. So at this point, while he's doing this, he befriends Celebrimbor, who is an elf that is a uh, particularly good smith. He's of the the line of yeah. Feanor. He's the son of Curufin. 
which is yeah one of the seven sons of Fanor. Um, and uh, he Kurufin was most into smithing of the sons of Fanor, and Celebrimbor being his son, obviously. So he's probably realistically the third best smith of all time, probably. And he gets he gets him in on this ring scheme. So the way that it works is uh, Sauron knows that the elves are going to be hard for him to eventually influence and overtake. So that's why he really wants this ring scheme to work. And he starts off by creating the three rings for the elves themselves. The three elven rings. And, um, yeah, so these three elven rings um, were given to... One was given to Galadriel, who is uh, the daughter of... Or the uh, daughter of Finarfin, um, sister to Finrod Felagund. And uh, so she's given one of the rings. Um, <laughs> um, Gilgalad is given the other ring, who is the, the high king of the Noldor at the time. And then the third one. Who could it... Who's the, the third, third one, Joel? Third Do you remember who it is? You know... If I remember correctly, it's fucking it starts it's with a, a C. It's it's just this guy. He's been around for a while. It's always on the tip of my tongue. He's always got a hand in, in everything. Fucking Kyrdan the shipwright. That's who it is. That's who it is. Kyrdan has a ring of power. Actually, at one point he's he one has of, two. At one point, he is the only ring bearer. Side note: he's the only ring bearer to ever bear two rings at once at the same time. Because he's he he gives it to Gandalf because because Gandalf um, shows up. In Middle Earth, um, as as a part of a secret mission, essentially, and um, he's Maiar, and he's looking to bring down Sauron, and uh, and um, Círdan says, "Hey, you might need this." Gives it to Gandalf, and it's the ring that inspires people to resist tyranny and evil. So that's real handy when Gandalf uses it. So at this point, we thought it would be an appropriate time to give you guys the poem of the creation of the rings. Because it kind of explains all this in a nutshell very effectively and beautifully. Which is what a lot of Tolkien's poems do. Like, they tell, they're tell they so efficient at getting information out. They're not only beautiful, but they are efficient. Yeah, they're great. So here we go. Three rings for the elven kings under the sky. Seven for the dwarf lords in their holes of stone. Nine for mortal men doomed to die. One for the Dark Lord on his dark throne in the land of Mordor, where the shadows lie. One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all. And in the darkness, bind them in the land shadows lie right so as you heard from the poem he's basically using the one ring to essentially enslave all the other rings the, even though they give you power which is remember the lure they give you power mm-hmm. take them they're Seeks super power cool through those looking for power yeah and uh yeah so that's essentially he he wants to enslave all the rings and so at, what, what happens is he immediately when he puts on the ring the one ring um the the elves immediately know what's up they Im- can feel immediately. it immediately they can feel it they're like oh shit take him off and they take him off and they hide him and sauron is is furious obviously he yeah. he put a lot he banked a lot on this whole ring scheme he put a lot of his own power into these rings and to make all this happen yeah, like a lot of his power, which we'll get to later. And the fact that it was instantly kind of debunked and the elves instantly saw his malice. He saw, They so, saw yeah. through it. And he was not happy. Rings. He wasn't happy. This is <laughs> essentially what, stort, what starts the War of the Rings. So, as you can tell from the, from the poem, he's using the ring as a way to gain power through these, uh, these other people he's given the rings to. Kind of like the theme we talked about. He's gaining power through others seeking power yeah take these rings they're super cool they got all kinds of magic powers but they've also got a little back door so he can get in and control everyone Mm -hmm. now unfortunately this goes awry the second he puts on his one ring Mm -hmm. the elves instantly sense his uh betrayal 
and they take the rings take off, them off and they hide, hide them. them. And he is furious. So yeah, and then the so so the three rings, and then there are seven to the dwarf lords. Let's learn a little bit about dwarfs from Joel because he's kind of. I thought this was worth noting. Okay, it was no, no. I know it's it's totally worth noting, it's, Joel. It's I just think it's funny whenever we're writing these episodes. There's always explicit dwarf material. I love the be. dwarves. They're the, one of the three uh, main races that always gets shafted all the time. No, I agree. Just, I just because they're not one of the children of Iluvatar. <laughs> just because they're the adopted children of Iluvatar. <laughs> See, yeah, I think it's cute. I don't, I don't dislike oh, cute. The, I don't dislike the dwarves or anything. I just think Joel's hard on for the dwarves is, uh-huh. is pretty well, funny. I don't anyway, know. You Joel, might gain let's a little. Hear, you let's might, hear about the dwarves. You might gain a little respect <laughs> after this next point. So obviously, this uh, po- rings of power scheme was a big deal. I mean, it did affect the elves. They just knew about it, so they took it off, and it really affected the men, as you can tell. They all turned into the Nazgul. Right. But it totally enslaved the dwarves. Them. It had almost no effect on at all. The only the only thing that happened to the dwarves is they did develop a particular lust for gold more so than before and it turned into a problem for them it it was it was not good it turned into like a a sickness Mm -hmm. but other than that it didn't it didn't do anything else to them it didn't uh it didn't hurt their age it didn't and then, yeah, take did, them to the darkness. And it, 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 he wasn't controlling them the way he liked. So, like, at that point, he was like... It wasn't controlling them at all. Yeah, at all. And he was like, at that point, he's like, give him back. So he... Because <laughs> Sauron's a little bitch. He tries to get back the the rings that he... And, and he eventually gets, what, three of them back, I think? He, he gets some of them back. Um, some of them he never gets back. Some of them are actually destroyed. And mm-hmm. some of them are just gone. But... Uh, he ultimately does not get all of the rings back, but th- he knows for a fact that they're gone if he doesn't get it. So yeah, at this point, um, s- the elves have taken off the rings and they've hidden them, and that really, really pissed Sauron off. So he unleashes his armies, pretty much lays siege to all the elven kingdoms in Middle Earth. Um, he's like at, he's like knocking on Rivendell's door essentially, and yeah, it starts a major war between the elves and Sauron. So at this point. Things are going pretty far south, and then we see some characters intervene from Numenor. So at this point in the Second Age, Numenor has already been established and has been pretty prosperous at this point. Numenor being an island of men, advanced men, that uh, came about after the First Age. Those men that helped in the War of Wrath were gifted the island of Numenor. And the Numenorians possessed uh, great wealth, great knowledge, and a long span of life. And they were their own kingdom at this point. Right. And they're pretty much th- the coolest men ever get. Like, they're they're huge, first of all. They're, they're tall. They're real big. And <laughs> they're real smart. Uh, and um, th- some of them live really long which um, we'll talk to we'll talk about eventually. So seeing that evil is back once again in Middle-earth, the Numenorians decide to intervene. They come and they team up with the elves in Middle-earth and they drive Sauron back. And uh, he goes all the way back to Mordor. His his armies are defeated and he just kind of hangs out there for a while and stirs and he rebuilds strength once again and ma- launches a massive assault. And at this point, he's calling himself uh, the king of men. He's 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 on a power trip. He's on a major power trip, and this, especially calling himself the king of men, really pisses off the Numenorians. Oh, yeah. So they come back once again in full arms to deal with this guy, and he is absolutely no match for the Numenorian army. They come, they walk right up into Mordor without even a fight and Sauron sees that he is by far outmanned and outnumbered and he instantly surrenders and tries like, to there's been a change of plans that's what, <laughs> that's, what, that's what Sauron says at that point there's been a change of plans and at that point uh, at surrendering they say they're going to take him back to Numenor's prisoner which and Sauron's, oh, instantly no. excites him but he, you know he's going to say oh no but oh, he no, is that's so super happy lame. they take him back as prisoner and he is so upset that they they stopped his overall plans that he takes the time to corrupt them with from within Eventually, he goes from a prisoner 
to the king's most trusted advisor in Numenor. And at this point, he's uh, he's taken his fair form and he's trying to. And he's he's really uh, really talking in the ears of men, because um, they are all essentially really jealous of the elves because they don't get to they they live forever, and so he is pl- he is playing on this fear of death to the point where he starts converting um, many of them to the worship of Morgoth. He says Morgoth will give you the power to live forever. Which isn't true. Which is not true. Um, And then he he also convinces them to just straight up sail to Valinor and like assault Valinor. This is where we get what's known as the Black Numenorians. The Numenorians that Sauron converted to worship Morgoth. They even took place in human sacrifices and things of that nature. He fully corrupted these guys. Yeah, so there's there's a temple... Um, it's the only temple in the world. It's the highest point in the world too, I believe, and it's it's called the Melantarma, and it's uh, it's devoted to Ir- uh, Ilvatar. It's the only place that's completely devoted to him, and that's where the the white tree sits, which is a descendant of the trees of Yavanna, which we'll talk about, and it's also the forebear to the white tree of Gondor, mm-hmm. and um, he essentially they chop the tree down. And they burn it, um, and they burn people on and it. And they burn people on it. It's pretty. It's pretty dark stuff. He also convinces the Numenorians to sail directly against the Valar. He convinces them to get a navy together, and they're gonna go assault Valinor and try to take it over. Which obviously and steal the gift of immortality. That's their plan. That obviously doesn't work. As soon as their ships make it to the shores of Amman, the continent that Valinor is established on, the mountains along the shore just fall on them, and <laughs> they're instantly trapped in what they're called Caves of the Forgotten. So at this point, um, a small band of Numenorians who were faithful to the elves have uh, also left. They, um, they took some of the coolest stuff they could find, the seven seeing stones and a sapling of the tree, and they took off. And they established Gondor and Arnor later on. But um, at this point, the Valar are extremely mad at Numenor, and they decide to just fucking destroy it. Like, they... They sink it. They sink it. (laughs) They destroy it, and they sink Numenor back into the ocean, and Sauron is destroyed along with it, although only his physical form. He flees back to Mordor, his spiritual form, and somehow his spiritual form takes the ring with him because he takes the ring with him. Right. And then he just goes back to Mordor, and he continues to build up Mm -hmm. until once again he takes shape. So Sauron flees back to Mordor, builds his armies once again and takes shape and wages war on the kingdom of Gondor and Aonor, especially since he finds their Numenorians that he didn't ultimately corrupt or kill. Yeah, he's mad about that. He's, He's pretty upset. So he wages war on them, and that's where we get the last alliance. This is really leading up into the Third Age and a lot of the precursors to the Lord of the Rings stuff. This is so. This what we're talking about right here is the prologue of the Lord of the Rings, the movie. Um, all this is is in there. So basically, the War of the Last Alliance, um, Gilgalad and um, and Elendil and his sons, they all march um, with a, a, a tr- like a huge army. They lay siege to to Barad-dûr and eventually. Um, Sauron himself has to come out and contend with them. And in the in the ensuing fight, Sauron kills Elendil, he kills um, Gilgalad, and he eventually uh, Isildur, the son of the king, takes the broken sword of his father and slices off the finger, um, which contained the One Ring. And what did that do, Joel? Well, separating the ring from his body took enough of Sauron's power away to the point where he could no longer take physical form, and he dissipated, which more or less vanquished him for the time being. Um, He poured so much, like we said earlier, he poured so much of his power into this ring scheme. That's how big of a deal it was for him. As soon as it got cut off his hand, he couldn't even take physical shape anymore. he couldn't even maintain his physical form anymore. And that is when he disappears from the Second Age, and he doesn't come back around again until the Third Age. And that's that's really the event that ends the Second Age. Mm -hmm. They're like, hey, we're going to start a new age now. (laughs) So at this point, uh, 
Isildur is the one that has the ring, and uh, later after the tragedy of Gladden Fields, he loses it fleeing across the river Anduin. And uh, some years later, it's picked up by the one and only Smeagol and his friend Deagle, which takes us right into the Third Age. Yeah, and the Third Age is the is the events of the, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, which we're all really familiar with, so we're not going to really get into it. In that, one thing we should say, just because we have been talking about Maiar, is that they are never completely destroyed, because... Um, so the fact that when the ring is tossed in Mount Doom at the end of the Lord of the Rings, Sauron doesn't actually die. Like a lot of people are like, it, he's dead. It dissipates his power to the point where he is essentially vanquished. He can never take form again, but he is not gone. Mm-hmm. Sauron still exists in the form of a spirit of malice that even hangs out in Mordor for a while after mm-hmm. the War of the Ring is done. It hangs out as a black cloud until it is uh, just blown swept away, away by... a. Blown out east. By a, a <laughs> strong wind one day. So Sauron still exists. He's out Myron there. Myron is out there somewhere. Myron, come back if you're listening. Come back. Come back, Myron. But he just can't do anything. He's lost all of his power to create physical form. And that's that's essentially the last we ever we hear. hear from Sauron. And that is the story of Sauron. And that's the story of Sauron. So, yeah, so that's uh, pretty much the story that we wanted to tell, um, the, the parts that Sauron is essentially more of a character, and um, you get to hear a little bit more yeah. cool we'll stuff. Yeah, we introduced you to some, some fun stuff. He yeah. wasn't just some evil force of, of uh, malice and hate. He was actually a guy, and he even turned himself into a werewolf and fought a giant hound <laughs> at one point. It was really cool. Right. He's a, yeah, he's, a, he's an interesting character. And then he is kind of standalone from next week's subject, Melkor. Yes. Tune in next week, guys, because as we all know, Sauron is the Dark Lord, but he barely holds a hat to next week's subject. Yeah. I mean, Melkor is the big deal. He's the big, he's the real deal. And we're going to talk about him all up in next week. Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. That's where we're going to leave, uh, leave you. This week, guys, thank you, thanks again for listening. Thanks for nerding out with us. Thanks for nerding in. out. Yeah, we want to just take a uh, a minute here to do a couple thanks. Um, so, yeah, we'd really like to thank our producer and editor, Cody Freitag. He pretty much does all our technical stuff, and he be- he believes in us. and uh, he, he gives us hope. He gives us hope for a better tomorrow. He more or less got this podcast going. Yeah, and... The- this was uh, more or less his idea. He's the mastermind, and uh, he he also is on a great podcast um, called Gamer Radio. Check them out. Check them out. They're Friends of ours. Yeah, uh, right on iTunes and uh, listen on SoundCloud. Um, they're really cool. They talk about uh, pretty much everything video games. So if you're a video game nerd or you know a video game nerd, um, definitely send them their way. And uh, we also all of us nerds have to band together. Right, always band together. And speaking of banding together. We may do a crossover episode soon between video games and Tolkien because there are Tolkien video games. Talking War in the North, Shadow of Mordor, Shadow of War. Then there's the old school Lord of the Rings trilogy games for like PS2. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about it all, guys. And it's going to be in a future episode. All right, guys. Thanks again for listening. This has been episode four. We love you for listening. And uh, keep on Tolkien. Keep on Tolkien, guys.